today is day three of our retreat together. <coughs> the uh, primary object in the uh, sitting posture as well as the other postures will be uh, on the body. Just take a little time just to reflect. Uh, so far the uh, uh, process uh, uh, with you. So on the first day the mindfulness of the breathing it isn't necessary to locate the breath in any particular locality of the body though you can of course if you so wish. It is a general experience of the breathing in and uh, breathing out as the primary uh, object to notice the changes in the sensations as we inhale and exhale it's developing concentration it is developing harmony of body and mind it is cutting through the, the streams of thought it is contributing to calmness and uh, relaxation to bringing oxygen consciously into the cells and to depth of uh, meditation so genuinely the mindfulness of breathing genuinely has a real uh, uh, benefit to the whole human being and also it is a reminder with each in breath and out breath of our interconnectedness uh, with the environment we are drawing in the air from that which is around us bringing it in letting the oxygen settle and then releasing the uh, unneeded uh, air back out and this process and dynamic also contributes to the reminder that what arises stays and passes arises, stays and uh, passes and that includes everything and remarkably the uh, wedding music travelling over the walls from those rather large uh, loudspeakers yesterday it started it had a middle period and uh, it finished. <coughs> Hopefully all of you had enough uh, good rest uh, through the uh, at night and catch up time if you need during the day. We then yesterday moved, still staying primarily with the breath but giving plenty of care and attention to painful uh, areas of the body. It's a valuable practice, one of which is to really learn to expand our pain horizons. We have the capacity to apply mindfulness and power of concentration uh, into those localities, experience uh, them, work uh, with them and really expand our pain horizons. Rather than immediately with a pain in the stomach or a knee pain or a headache, immediately running to uh, the medication uh, there and far too much of it is just pushing that temporarily uh, away from consciousness into some background but it's not resolving it. So our practice is to explore that uh, there and, and sometimes for some of you and for most of you we know that we just have to <coughs> pardon me, change the posture and that pain quickly, immediately dissolves but that isn't the case for absolutely everybody in the hall 
some do have some chronic ongoing pain it isn't easy to uh, handle I appreciate and of course there may be other situations in life where uh, it's not possible just to be without the pain just by changing of the posture so it is a real change real training for us in learning to handle well and skillfully painfulness so that <coughs> we are not doubling the pain by the suffering and anguish and, and difficult feelings that are going on inside in the face uh, of, uh, of it. One pain in the body is enough. Let's not intensify, increase it or Mention also was made yesterday as well. Not so easy to distinguish between that which is just of the body, that which is of body and influence of the mind, and that which is due to the pressures or whatever uh, in the mind, and it's just experienced in the body uh, there. Not that we're <coughs> trying to make it crystal clear between one and the other. Primary interest is to take the problem out of the situation. So sometimes we may experience uh, the body and there may be some sensations uh, which are there with it. We may not know if this, how much, if at all, influence from the mind or not. Not that important if there's no pressure, frustration, anxiety, worry, or whatever about it. Sometimes it's not quite clear to us, but... <coughs> so it's not quite clear sometimes if in the posture, any of the four postures, if it's just the pain arising is just because of the posture, which it might be, or whether it's arising because there is uh, some mental discomfort with it, uh, all too human. Mindfulness of the body is uh, an important, immensely uh, important practice and uh, exploration because there is such habit and conditioning uh, there with such repetition that there is a kind of assumption which goes with it. And what I have in mind here is the I thought, the self thought. And uh, the I sense. And with that, it easily, most frequently and obviously, uh, lands on the body. And the view, the naming process, which is most common, is the I am the body. That reflecting itself and showing itself at times uh, in I am sitting here. I am sitting here. And we say it to ourselves, we say it to each other, we've said it for far too long and sadly we've become come to believe it. And the I has no capacity to take shape. Period. Just a manifestation of the I. And, but it lands on the body. And with its landing on the body, it says, I am sitting here. And with this, the I is in its identification with mode. 
identification with mode. And, but the eye doesn't come as the singular. It doesn't land there alone. It cannot land there without isolation. And what that means is that when the eye lands on the body, you bring your history with it. And if you've got a history of projections around the body, that will go with it. If you have a history of not liking yourself physically, that will go with it. If you have a history of thinking that you are too fat, what's the other, of thin, tall, short, old, young, healthy, sick, I, 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 that view, that particular, will carry the tendency with it. It's not just I am sitting here, but I am sitting here, and the I is not free of the compositions, it's called samkaras, or karma, uh, or tendency, or papancha, means projections, many, many words in the teachings, which accompanies the self, it accompanies the I, and it lands with it. Sometimes it hardly lands with it, sometimes it lands quite strongly, due to some pressure or reactivity, and it goes to the body. And it's our task, and it's a great human uh, um, undertaking, to learn and understand, to see, to quote the Buddha here, body as body. It's no withdrawal, it's no detachment, Detachment are all the projections on the body, by the way. That's the confirmation of detachment. Reaction to not liking, fault-finding, all the views and opinions. So, letting the I be quiet. The other, which goes with it, is not the identification with the physical, but, that means the body, but rather the making of a possession of it. So there's a shift in the view, in the perception, and that shift cancels in that time the other. So then the body is a possession, it's an ownership. My leg, my arm, my back, my knee, my headache, my this, my that. So we shift from identification with, at times, I am sitting here, or to the possessive mode my leg, my body, my arm, my back, my this, my that and since those two modes are the common uh, ones when one is present, the other is not none of them, neither of them have any authentic truth to it you're not the possessor of the body. Neither am I am we it's not possible. And I'm not the body, it's not possible. And then the I also lands in different ways. And sometimes we'll say, quite humanly enough, Oh, I am sitting in my body. I am inside the body. I like this I I am in the body. And I am, like the metaphorical, I am the tenant, a, a, a temporary tenant, of course. I am the temporary tenant 
uh, in this house of the body. Uh, so I'm inside of it. <coughs> and then um, another uh, view is, oh, um, there is this I, there is this self, and it's expanded, and actually I have the experience of the body being in me. So I'm open, I'm expansive, and there is this body, and the body is resting in me. Uh, there. And then that, that shows yet another change uh, in the uh, relationship. Or another view can be, oh, the body and I are, are one. We are, I and the self and the body are uh, all one. Or the body is, is part of me, etc. So all these views we express quite often to ourselves and with each other in the daily life. And the fact there are so many different views about the relationship to the body, in a way states none of them have any truth in them. They're just views, just views. So teachings are an exploration in which no rejection, actually, the rejection of the body is in those views, actually. No rejection of the body. Not all the self-history landing on the body, I am this, I am that, in terms of the physical. Much more importantly, it's an expression of nature. Of course it is. There's no lie in that. It's not a fiction. It's not made up by me and you. I am not the creator of this body. I am not the manufacturer of, of it. It is a manifestation out of the evolution of life. It is a formation of the biology of existence. It's the presentation of a collection of cells forming together with consciousness. It is a wave in the great field of existence. And this formation of life, this biology, this body, this uh, presentation, this expression in the uh, uh, ev evolution, as a manifestation of the nature, frankly, it is unarguable. It's unarguable. Anybody who says the body is an illusion is deluded. It's that which forms together in the field of time through the great evolution of our existence and here we are, you and I, this present generation, experiencing this. Can we experience, which we can, the body as body? Deeply connected, no withdrawal, horrendous to withdraw, to be detached. And in that connection there, our care for the body is an expression of love. Our respect for the body is an expression of love. Our concern with posture and diet and movement and exercise and meditations and relaxation and wisdom and clarity really genuinely bring a really precious benefit to the body. So it's not under horrendous demand of the self. The body then can, organic life can live without all this pressure from the, from the mind, from the demands uh, on it. And if we get that sense and feeling, then we can look at the body, say, ha ha, there is this body. It is an expression of I and mind. There is awareness and support and connection for it, and there is a knowing 
this is not me, this is not myself, this is not who I am, this belongs to nature. This is a manifestation of nature, an outburst of the nature. And we, as conscious human beings, have the task and the responsibility and the undertaking to really take care of this. And equally, of course, as many of you do already, in the same spirit of that with regard to others. Whenever our loved ones are sick or have pain or have an accident or something, the heart reaches out and we want to give support, we want to do what we can, we want to offer that love and that kindness and find skillful ways for the healing in the variety of ways which are, uh, are possible. It's a natural. One of the, the, the Buddhist sages said a rather lovely statement. He said, when I experience some pain, it's quite natural for me, for my hand, to move, to go to that part of the body, you know, perhaps rub it or do something, give it a little massage or change something. It's quite natural to do that. Uh, there. But then he says, but the whole body of life is connected. So our, what, when we give... When this is the object called the, the body here, the immediate, the close one, we give attention to it. But the rest is also the body of life. And therefore, it's the same kind of response that we can offer in giving support to the welfare of others. Because all of it is in the body of life. And it's not my body and your body and all those uh, uh, separations. Just here is the one, the immediate and the one deserving of our care and our love and our respect. It's a remarkable thing, this event which is going on. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. Extraordinary that life can be conscious of itself, that we can make healthy and wise changes. We are human beings with this remarkable capacity. And we can have a sense of what pain is for our beloved animals and for the birds, and for the uh, creatures, and uh, uh, other. We have a solidarity with them. We can give su them support. And sometimes they, they really, really need it, because they don't have the knowledge and the skills and the expertise that we can offer. And it's part of that. They are too in the body of life. We're not superior creatures. We are just also the creatures, and we have something to offer as well. So with the meditations and with the uh, sitting, walking, standing and reclining, do please give plenty of uh, mindfulness and practice today, making the uh, body the primary uh, object, learning to see it as a force of nature, as organic life, in that kind of uh, language, and just catching oneself when the view of the body has some kind of reactivity. So... What I mean by that is it's quite fine and useful when the I, the self, is rather light, meaning therefore sometimes I say, oh, I am sitting here and I'm uh, just being with my parts of my body, so the I and my is uh, there. It's quite unproblematic to use the language. But just to know those times when its language 
infected with history, with being judgmental, with being judgmental of other people and their physical appearance, uh, with regard to ourselves, just to catch that reactivity. There can be, in the response as well, real appreciation. We see beauty, and beauty is the confirmation and the recognition of love, the sign of love. And our poets have spoken so much of the importance of love and uh, beauty. And there is much which is beautiful. But also, it would be a step too far, in my view, to say everything of life physically is beautiful. It is not. Beautiful is a, a presentation, it's an appearance, it's authentic and genuine. But it was a step too far to say the body is beautiful. So uh, uh, the monks regularly in the chant, um, and we just go through 32 parts of the body to remind one of sometimes the less beautiful parts of the body. So, God, I forget the words, it must be getting on. And uh, so the list, 32 parts, the list would include mostly the less than beautiful parts. Shit is one of those less beautiful parts in the body. Pus, phlegm, snot, spit. You know, one's hardly likely to have a happy, joyful experience of witnessing these bits of the body. Uh, uh, there. So we have to be real, you know, that, that, that's uh, there. And, but also recognize the beauty as well. This life, it's not just one against the other. They are both there in human, human life. And sometimes the Ajahn, Ajahn Tamadaro, teacher, would say to some of the, uh, the monks, and some of us who felt just needed to kind of wake up a bit with regard to uh, the body, take us off down to the local hospital, maybe five, six, eight monks and nuns, you take me regularly, obviously felt I needed to see this, and we'd go down into the basement of the, of the hospital, and there in the basement of the hospital were the dead bodies, young and old, and then the uh, person doing the autopsy would come and would get the surgeon's knife and peel down the front and peel down here and pull the skin down and cut down here and there and pull this out to look at us for us to look at there and just meditate on death and that was our practice and one Chinese uh, monk um, uh, who uh, actually was actually was murdered um, not monk, a man, businessman in Nakon Si Tamarat. And one day his uh, heart came in a glass jar and he left in his will that I was the only Western monk and left it uh, for me and asked me to, to keep, asked the uh, surgeon to put his heart um, in the jar and for me to keep it in my hut in my room as a reminder of impermanence uh, 
Uh, that was a quite a good uh, idea. So you might think about this when you're when you're getting old and your will uh, or whatever. So practices and the tradition, you know, looks at life. It much there is the meditation on the beautiful of the body, super gamadam, to really recognize what is uh, beautiful. And, it, and it's lovely and sweet. And there is a recognition, asupa, the not beautiful, like the list that I just gave. You say, okay, I want to live in the real world, I want to see th- things as they are, it's not a, an illusion. And we work with this, we practice with this. Uh, with the walking, standing, and uh, reclining, having a strong parallel, of course, with regard to the sitting uh, 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 meditation. Because much of the time, obviously, though there is the general collective uh, of us, of the Sangha, of the yogis, of the practitioners, but it relies a little bit on uh, the quiet diligence and focus, meaning, therefore, when it's the walking time, if you can, make it a really good, clear, focus walking period. Sometimes people will say, oh, with the walking meditation, no, I, I don't get so much out of it, or whatever. Or my mind is wandering a lot. So it could be useful, it would be useful, to uh, just extend the time. So instead of walking with the slow, mindful walk up and down for half an hour or 40 minutes or whatever, skip a sitting Make a quiet commitment, two hours non-stop walking. And slow, mindful, very, very dedicated, as though you are dead man, dead woman walking. Meaning, it's your last walk on this earth. Mind wouldn't be wandering too much. It'd be pretty focused, pretty interested. It's the last walk. So, the... A two-hour walk sometimes, and sometimes in the midst of all of the just dedication, two hours, I mean, it's not much out of your life, honestly, two hours of uh, walking, sometimes, uh, this is what the walking about. Walking is a lot more deep than just coming from somewhere and going somewhere. There's a lot more to it. You might have been in hospital, and sometimes, uh, Tenzing's wonderful mum, uh, Ellen, can't come to India because of, the, uh, of uh, an ankle uh, injury. It hap- ease, happens easily enough. And sometimes people have been in hospital, or had some injury, can't uh, walk or whatever. And then the day comes and one is able to take those first mindful, slow steps after that operation or whatever it might be. One would be happy just to be walking. Happy to enable those legs to take one step after the other and see this movement of organic life. So the walking practice is genuinely in the, in the monastery, where I was a monk, um, um, every day we had for 90, 90, 
circle uh, walking, 100 monks and uh, novices, for one and a half hours uh, every day, seven days a week, and just doing the, the slow circle uh, walking. And it's grounding and centering, and at times such practices are incredible support for us, especially in very, very difficult times of our lives. We just need to walk up and down uh, there to move through these things. Rather similarly, with the standing meditation, appreciate in 5, 10, 15 minutes, it might be a bit difficult. It takes a while for the body to adjust. A little bit of steadfastness with it, and half an hour, 40 minutes, one can be really standing. And these grounding principles of this do reduce much stress, give a feeling of togetherness with the being uh, there and that groundedness of the mind so that the sense of things is that the life and the day is so rich and full that the mind it's not that oh I've got to stop my thinking oh I've got to stop all my imagination and all this stories and pictures and images and memories and planning and all that which is going on rather one comes into a, a way of being which has so much interest in the non-mental chatter activity, so much more interest in something else. It's not like I have to give up all that mental construction and activity. I realize there's something much more which I can sense and feel and experience and be in touch with, and that will inform the thought. And then our reflections are quite short and quite important, very important, but quite brief, because the sense of life is a grounded one. And the meditation, the Dharma teachings, my goodness me, they are a teaching of being grounded, grounded in this life, and working with it and exploring in it. And that's the the power of the teachings and. We're here, we have a precious opportunity. Don't sleep through it. So let's have a, a few minutes together, please. Thank you.